Okay, today Jesus' ministry begins, and it begins with a big splash. He gets baptized, and we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. But let's look back to last week, if you weren't here. Last week, we examined the shocking way in which Jesus came into the world. You remember how? As one of us, a little baby, the same way we come into the world, Jesus Our Savior came into the world, born by poor parents in a lowly manger, visited by shepherds. And really, all we know about Jesus' growing up years are two things. Number one, remember that temple experience where they went to the Passover? Mom and dad leave, they go up north, and three days later they come back and they find him where? In the temple, asking questions, answering questions, and they're a little bit hacked off. Son, how could you treat us this way, right? And he said... I must be about my father's business. In which direction is he pointing? At Joseph or his heavenly father? And then the only other thing we know about him is Luke chapter 2 and verse 52. The Bible says he grew in wisdom. In other words, he grew intellectually, if you will. He grew in stature. That means he grew physically. He grew in favor with God. He grew spiritually. And he grew in favor with men. That means he grew socially. And we don't hear anything more about Jesus until he's 30 years old. You had to be 30 years old to be a rabbi. At that point, you were mature enough that people will now give you the time of day to listen to what you have to say. Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River. We read about this in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 13. This is where the big splash took place. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan. That's a 60-mile journey, by the way, folks. This was no easy trek. It wasn't like, hey, you know, I'll meet you Sunday morning. I'm thinking about getting baptized. You know, I got a 10-minute drive. No, 60 miles. He's up here in Galilee to that spot where John was baptizing. Baptized there because there was lots of water, the Bible says. With lots of water means what? Lots of people. We're coming to be baptized at John's message. John the Baptist doesn't mean that he was a Baptist. It just simply meant that he immersed people. Did you know that the Greek word baptism is the word baptizo? It means to dip, to plunge, or to submerge underwater, to immerse. And so his name would better be John the Immerser than John the Baptizer. Because you get the idea, that's what he's doing. He's immersing people. And Jesus comes along, and I I assume that, you know, Jesus was much more patient than me. I would wait for the line to die down, but I can picture Jesus standing in a long line of sinners, having never committed a sin of his own, waiting patiently for his turn to be baptized, right? He's not a line cutter. He's not rude. I've been known to do that. (laughs) Traveled all this way from Galilee in the north, But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized to you, and you come to me. Why does he say that? Does he know Jesus is God? No, he doesn't know that. He knows Jesus is his cousin, and he's never seen his cousin one time sin or do anything wrong. Jesus will say of John, no man like him on earth. Best man ever lived. And John will say of Jesus, I need to be baptized to you. What does that tell you? He knows Jesus is something special, and he feels a little bit Shameful, because John, everyone has sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, even John the Baptist. And yet he knows Jesus as a good man. He's about to know him as the Son of God, but not yet. 
Jesus replied, let it be so. It is proper for us, John, come on, to do this. Why? To fulfill all righteousness. It would have been unrighteous for Jesus not to have gotten baptized. Because what was John the Baptist? He was a messenger or a spokesman for God. And what did God give this prophet John to say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It means at the elbow. It's close. John was a forerunner to Jesus. He was about to start his ministry. It started with a big splash. It started with a baptism. Now, Jesus didn't have anything to repent of. But if Jesus would have refused John's command, because John spoke for who? God, to be baptized, then he would have been a sinner and he couldn't have gone to the cross and died for our sins because he would have broken that commandment of God. Get it? But he can go and get baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Now he is still perfect and he can die a perfect sacrifice on the cross. Perfect time in the grave and a perfect resurrection. And one day he will perfectly come back for a perfect church because he keeps us all clean because he was the perfect sacrifice on the cross. He fulfilled all righteousness. Then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. That tells you something about baptism, right? It's not a little sprinkle here, a sprinkle there. In the water, up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit. Who's seeing all this? Jesus and John. John's seeing this. John had a little conversation evidently with God, that when you see this, you're going to be baptized in lots of folks, John, but when you see this happen, that's the one. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning on him. And the voice from heaven said, This is my son. John, get it? Yeah, got it. Good, God. Whom I love, with whom I am pleased. John now knows he's not just a good man. That cousin of mine is not just a good man. This is God with us. So the next time he sees Jesus, what does he say to his disciples? He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Follow Him. He must increase. I must decrease. I'm not worthy to latch up His sandals. So John's now in the know. John now gets it. Jesus' baptism is a sign that God is doing something brand new on the earth. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you are believers? How many of you have repented of your sins? But how many of you have never yet taken the big splash with Jesus in baptism? How can that be? Jesus went out of his way 60 miles to be baptized to fulfill our righteousness. Did you know some of the last words of Jesus are found in Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, right there on the screen? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to who? Me. Therefore, Whenever you see a therefore, look at what went before. Jesus has all authority, so he calls the shots, not you. Go and make disciples. What do you do with a disciple, folks? You baptize them. And whose name do you baptize them? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All three are united in your baptism. Do you see that? Now, what do you do with a baptized disciple? Hang them up to drip dry, right? And then move on to the next. Wrong! You've got to grow a disciple. That's why we have growth groups. That's why we have Bible classes. That's why we have worship services. That's why we have fellowships. Teach them to observe all things I commanded you. What were the all things? Go make disciples 
baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them some more. Do you see how the cycle's supposed to keep on going and going and going? Who have you gone to? Who have you made a disciple of? Who have you baptized? This is not given to preachers. This is not a command. I think some people say, oh yeah, that's the preacher's job. That verse is for preachers only. No, that's for the church. That's for the body of Christ. We all need to be involved in this big splash experience. You know, even when a guy named Saul of Tarsus met Jesus on a road to Damascus, he listened to the words of Jesus. He heard the gospel, went into the city. Finally, a preacher was brave enough to go baptize him. And he says, what are you waiting for, Saul? <laughs> Arise and be baptized and call upon the name of the Lord. He said, amen, I'm going to go do it. He took the big splash too. And then later to the Romans, he will say, in Romans 6, 3, and 4, do you not know that for as many of us who have been baptized into Christ have put up Christ, put on Christ? How do you get into Christ? You're baptized into Christ. We're all wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. Remember the old VBS song the kids used to sing? They sang it on our joy bus years ago. Love that song. But it gives you the biblical picture of what it's all about. So the first thing Jesus does is he takes a big splash. That's how he begins his ministry. The second thing he does is he goes out into the wilderness to be tempted by who? Satan himself. The devil is real. Temptation is real. And Jesus has got to bind the strong man. Who's the God of this world? Satan. And Satan messed up things in the Garden of Eden years earlier. And the first man, Adam, failed. Jesus has now got to face the same Satan. And he's going to come out victorious. He will overcome the temptation that the first man failed to overcome. And so after any big splash, there's a ripple effect, right? Who's the first one to feel the ripple effect? The devil. And so there he is. And now Jesus reenacts the temptation of the Garden of Eden. All sin falls into one of three categories. John talks about this in 1 John. There's the lust of the flesh, there's the lust of the eye, and there's the pride of life or the vainglory of life. Men love to be proud. They love vainglory. And before Jesus ever performed one single miracle, he had to go into battle, a battle for his very identity. Let's take a look at this first temptation. It's found in Matthew 4, 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led by who? The Spirit. He doesn't come out of the waters, let me at him, let me at him. But he's not afraid to go into battle either. And so the Spirit says, let's go get this battle done. He goes out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, you've got to get yourself ready for battle. Now you would think the last thing you'd want to do is physically be weak, but no, when you fast, you become spiritually strong. You're getting rid of all the impurities from your body. You're getting focused on God. And he's now ready to face the devil. But you know what? When you break a fast, your body's way of telling you that it's time to break the fast is you get hungry again. And when that hunger comes back, it comes back with a vengeance. And Jesus has fasted 40 days, and he is starving, literally starving to death. And the tempter came to him and said, If... You are the Son of God. What's this if business? Well, he's trying to create a little doubt in Jesus' mind, whether or not Jesus believes the word about himself. He's planting a seed of doubt. Now, I'm just sure that Mary and Joseph told Jesus as he was growing up that story that we read last week that he was born in a manger, 
that shepherds came, later on wise men came to worship him, and that this was not a usual birth, but it was through an immaculate conception. Don't you know that Mary had to have told him at some point in his life when he was old enough to know and understand these things? And maybe Joseph and Mary got together. Allow me a little liberty with the scripture, but I'm just sure that something like this had to have happened. Yes, son, you are a very special baby. An angel appeared to me at one time, Jesus, and said, God wants to use you, uh, if you're willing, Mary, to bring God into the world. And she said, how can this be? I've never been with a man. Well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be with child. That was you, Jesus. Yeah, what dad think of that? And you can see Joseph, oh, I'm embarrassed, but yeah, I didn't believe your mom when she said, God, God's baby's in me. I didn't believe it. But you know what? I believe it now, and I believed it because an angel came and said, Joseph, quit being a jerk. It's really God's son. Yeah, don't you know that some kind of a... That, if we know the story, don't you think Jesus got the story? And so Jesus is going out into the wilderness to face Satan himself, armed with nothing but what? Words and stories. What has he got? A Bible. Not written form yet. He's got some prophecy about this. You got the Old Testament. And when you and I face the devil, guess what we go up against him with? Words and stories. Now the question is, will we, like Jesus, believe the words and the stories and resist the devil with the word? Unless you really get the word in you and buy into the word and believe the word, you will not pass the test. It's not just quoting scripture that gets rid of the devil. Well, I'll quote a scripture and the devil will have to leave. The devil quotes scripture. The devil knows the Bible. It's not until you get the Bible in you and living it that you can resist and make him flee. So, we look back at the first temptation. Genesis chapter 3. If the devil's trying to create some doubt in Jesus' mind, guess what the devil was trying to do with Adam and Eve? Create some doubt in their mind. Did God say that you could eat of all the trees? Oh, yeah, yeah, except that one. Why, why not that one? Well, that one there is kind of a special tree, and the way I understand the story, it belongs to God, and God's trying to protect us, and if we eat of that tree, we will surely die. What did they have? A story. And the devil comes along and says, Oh, you don't believe that story, do you? You'll not die. You'll become like God. You see that? What's the devil just done to Eve? Planted a little doubt. Doubt leads to disobedience. That's where it leads every single time. Don't let that doubt creep into your mind, folks. If you ever doubt this word, you're going to fall. But when you stand upon the word, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly was one of our verses during 40 days in the word. First verse we ever memorized. Get it deep inside you. Let it dwell in you richly because what's deep in you will come out of you in your time of need. If it's, but it's got to be in there to come out, right? So let's get it in there. Get rid of the doubt. They sin and creation has not been the same since. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones. 
to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He quotes a passage. I like that passage. That's a good passage. Now, what would have been wrong? Put your thinking caps on here for a moment. What would have been wrong if Jesus did take those stones and turn it into bread? After all, he was hungry. He could do a miracle if he wanted to. I mean, God can do anything, right? Jesus is God. So what would have been wrong with that? He he turned water to wine on one occasion, right? He took a few fish and a few loaves on several occasions and fed multitudes. What's it going to hurt to pick up a stone because he's hungry and make bread out of it and feed and satisfy himself? He's done it before. Let's think about this for a moment. Jesus came to identify with who? Mankind. He came to identify with me and with you. The Bible says he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without what? Sin. Could we relate to Jesus, however, if every time Jesus got hungry or got in a bind, he kind of reached into the divine bucket, like Felix the cat into his bag of tricks and pulls out, you know, a miracle. Give me the ability to turn stones into bread and I'll never steal again, right? Give me the ability to do miracles in any situation and I, I'll follow God all the days of my life. But you know what doesn't work that way? He came to identify with us, but we've got to identify with him, and we could never identify with him if he were to obey and do that miracle for his own pleasure and for his own need. Jesus did miracles on behalf of who? Other people, for others. Not for himself, not for his self-gratification. So, we move on. Chapter 4, verse 5, we see pride. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And there's that word again. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands. That's true. Did you know that Jesus would not have a single broken bone in his body through his entire lifetime? You know, when he went out to play, you know, Kick the can, kickball, football, you know, Red Rover, Red Rover, all that stuff, whatever they played back then, right? He never broke a single bone. That's a prophecy. Because, see, he had to be a, a lamb without spot and without blemish to take away the sins of the world. His sacrifice had to be perfect. You know, we talk about his broken body on the cross, but we're not talking about any bones being broken. We're just talking about how battered and bloody and beaten it was. That's what we mean by broken. But he was a perfect sacrifice. No broken bones. And you know what? If he were to throw himself off of that pinnacle, everybody would look up and say, Hey, look! look, Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a man! No, it's Jesus! And he would just kind of float down like a leaf, you know, just... And everyone, oh! 
Hooray for Jesus! Look what Jesus got! Oh, you know, look at the following you would instantly get, man. Just do something like that. Appeals to his pride. And Jesus said, it is written. Again, the Word lives in Jesus. It dwells in Jesus. Do not put the Lord to the test. And then the eye, lust of the eye. Again, third temptation. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of what? The world. What did I say Satan was? Satan is the god of this world. Shows him all the splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. Ooh. Instant fame, instant fortune, instant following. Look at the, I don't have to go to the cross. I've got the whole world following. You see this? See, see the temptation? And look, say, you can just see Satan. Look, I'm not asking for much. I'm really not asking for much. Just a little, just a little, just that knee just touched, just barely touched the ground. That's all I want. That's all you got to do. One little knee touch, and it's yours. Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Then, boom, the devil leaves. When Jesus gives the command, he's passed the test. Pride caused the first fall. Jesus was anything but prideful. He stayed faithful to God and overcame the evil one through the word of God, living richly and indwelling his life. Now, here's what you need to understand, folks. The devil is real. Jesus encountered the devil. You know what the devil would like for us to believe? That he's this cartoon character that runs around in a red suit, and he's got a pitchfork, and he's got these little horns. and Oh, you know, some put him as a little cutie, you know, devil. And he'd love for you to think of him as a cartoon character, so innocent, so benign. But let me tell you how the devil's going to show up in your life. More often than not, Satan will appear to you in the form of doubt. Doubt. Remember that word, if, he kept using? Well, if there's really a God, why didn't he create a perfect world? This world is horrible. Have you looked around? Have you read the papers lately? Have you watched the news lately? And I say, well, wait a second. He did create a perfect world. Adam and Eve lived in it. Perfect humanity. They fell and messed everything up. God started it off right. Well, if, if there really is a God, and if he really does care for you Christians, then why are you going through such a hard time? Why did you have a heart problem? Why did my wife have cancer? Now, why are you going through relationship issues? If there really is a God. See the doubt that comes in? See, when you're hurting, you begin to doubt. Are you going to believe the story, the Word of God, and overcome the evil one by getting the Word in you? Don't, can't, can't just quote a scripture and the devil goes away. You've got to get the scripture deep down inside of you. And when people are depressed, I get the Word deep in them. You know, it doesn't do you any good to say, all things work together for good, those who love the Lord. Okay, feel better? No. Until they get that in them. Nurse them along. Help them grow. And once it becomes real, and it becomes more than just a story and just words, it becomes a part of your life, 
Then you overcome the evil one. Get it? All right, we're moving forward. We're making progress. The devil tried to lessen the impact of Jesus' big splash by tempting him, but he only made it worse, didn't he? Matthew chapter 12 and verse 29. Jesus says, How can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man, right? If there's a guy bigger and stronger than me, you know what? I've got to knock him out, and then I've got to tie him up. And then if he wakes up, it doesn't matter because he's all tied up, right? I said, look what I got. Got your wallet. Got your silver. Got your gold. Now you can just make off with all of his stuff. Well, see, before Jesus ever did a miracle, he had to tie up the strong man. You name one single demon that Jesus could not cast out. You can't do it, can you? Why? He's tied up the strong man. You name one single blind man he could not give his sight back to. You can't do it. Why? Because he's tied up the strong man. Lame walk, blind see, deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the poor get good news told to them. You can do all that stuff when you tie up the strong man. Jesus went into the wilderness to begin his ministry to tie up the strong man so he can go about his ministry. Jesus is not of this world. That's why he can overcome it. But he says, if you're in me, you can overcome the world too. Are you going to believe the word? Are you going to believe the story? Are you going to believe the book and get it down into your life to where every little trouble, every little ache, every little pain doesn't cause you to wonder and doubt, is there a God? And if there is a God, why does he care about me? He must not love me. I must not be saved. I'm just a rotten little egg, and I'm not going to do anything but maybe show up to church on Sunday and hope for the best. That's not living the victorious life. I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Amen? But it starts by getting the Word in us deep, deep, deep in us. Legion had several thousand demons in him. And Jesus said, be gone. And they said, oh, well, don't send us to the waterless places. At least, if you're going to cast us out of this man, would you send us in those swine over there, those pigs over there? And he did. And the pigs didn't even want him. Remember, they ran off a cliff, threw themselves in the ocean, and committed suicide. I've done this one before, guys. You shouldn't even... But you get the idea? Jesus has power over the demons. He's got power over Satan. Once you get the strong man tied up, you can do whatever you want to do. Now, Jesus' biggest challenge is you, and it's me. Jesus' biggest challenge is the hearts and the minds of people. Some people question Jesus with honest motives. I love people to question Jesus and come to me with, if they've got an honest heart and with honest motives, I don't mind people coming to me and talking to me about that. I love it. As a matter of fact, I know in time they will come to find the Lord Because wherever there's a seeking soul with an honest heart and a willing worker, we have a gracious God that will bring salvation to that that person given enough time. Who was a guy like that? Well, there's this guy named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, the teacher of the Jews, really. Head honcho of the Sanhedrin. He came to Jesus by night. Didn't want anyone to figure it out, you know, what he's doing there. And he says, Rabbi, notice what he calls him. We know that you are a teacher come from God because no one can do the miracles that you're doing except God be with him. He's smart enough to figure this out. He's from God. Now, is he God? 
Hadn't figured that out yet. Is he just a prophet like John? Hadn't figured that out yet. But he's searching with a good and an honest heart. Remember what he said? You need to be born again. Well, how can I be born again? Can I enter in a second time? Not my mother's womb would be born. No, no, no. We're not talking about a physical thing. We're talking about a big spiritual splash. Except you're born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And he doesn't figure it all out yet, but the next time you read about this guy named Nicodemus, he's a believer, he's a follower, and he's in Christ. He gets saved eventually. There was a woman at a well, a Samaritan woman, had a checkered past. God can use people with a checkered past, right? She had five husbands and a live-in at the time. Tells her about her whole life. And he says, uh, man, I want some living water. She's so thirsty for something spiritual to change her life. He says, well, whoever drinks of me will never be thirsty again. And man, she was so excited about that news. She had to go tell somebody. She got a whole town to come out. Not only did she get saved, but the whole town got saved. Good, honest hearts will find the gospel. But there are some people that question Jesus with dishonest motives, with dishonest hearts. Who were they? The religious leaders, the Pharisees of the day. They didn't like what Jesus did. They didn't like what Jesus said. And they didn't like who Jesus hung out with. Not their kind of people. Hung out with those people. He didn't like those people. And so they decided to kill him, according to Mark 3. One through six, another time, he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, and so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. See, they had this Sabbath rule that they made up. It's a man-made rule. It wasn't a God-ordained rule. Jesus wrote the Bible. He can interpret the Bible, right? Can you heal on the Sabbath or not? Jesus says yes. They said no. Who's right? Of course, Jesus says. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Boy, he makes a spectacle. He points the guy out. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? He's really putting the Pharisees on the spot, these religious leaders, if you will. But they remain silent. You know why, don't you? If they said, Well, it's not proper to do good on the Sabbath, Jesus said, Okay, put your finger on the verse that says that. And guess what? They couldn't put their finger on the verse because there's no verse that says that, but that was their interpretation. So they just remained silent. He took him, he looked at him, at them in anger. These guys, he's he's hacked off. And deeply distressed at their stubborn, stubborn hearts and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. They cared more about their traditions than they did about their brother's suffering with the withered hand. People, huh? Oh, speaking of people, where are you in this story? Which one are you? Are you Nicodemus? You know, if if we just give you enough time, keep searching the scriptures with an open, honest heart, you're going to find him. 
And you too will get involved in this big splash and get baptized into Christ. Are you the Samaritan woman who's so thirsty for some spiritual water that you're willing to do anything? You'll leave your water pot and go tell others, could this be the one? Or are you the Pharisees who care more about your religion than helping people? See, the Pharisees were very, very religious. They just had no relationship with God. See, that's why I say all the time that religion never saves anyone. It's a relationship with God that saves. I want everyone to stand right now. We're going to close. Praise Him, I want you to come up. Everyone else stand. We're going to read a scripture. I'm going to close with a a very, very, very famous passage. John 3.16. Most of you can quote it, but we're going to read it together. Let's talk about this Savior of ours by reading a very famous passage about God's love. Are you ready to read it with me? All right, here we go. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let's pray. You know, Jesus' big splash is good news for those who need a fresh start. It's really called the rebirth or being born again. Kind of like our first birth. Uh, You know, it's not a mulligan. It's more of a miracle of God. It's not a second chance. This new birth is really a whole new beginning. And when you give your life to Jesus through faith, repentance, and baptism, you get born again. Father, if there's anyone here today that's never done that, we pray that this is their day and that they'll make that decision to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.